Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm Violet Benson. Welcome to another episode of Too Tired to Be Crazy with me, your host. Um, today, I have my friend on. She is a special guest. Now I just feel self-conscious about always saying special guest. I'll We're all special. Over. Exactly. <laughs> we're all special. Today, I have my friend Adelaide Kane on. And I pronounced her name perfectly because she's my friend and I've learned it by now. <laughs> I always mispronounce like every name. Really? It's been really hard. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of names. A lot of us have really weird names that's Makes true sense. i mean adelaide is still a pretty weird unique name is yeah, it common? but you also speak like four languages so shouldn't you be able to like nail that's it by now no that's why i would be mispronouncing the names because my you accent gotta think of the pronunciation in four different languages yeah my accent is some sometimes your specific accent can pronounce specific english words um, it's just harder makes sense i mean can you pronounce everything you being australian no, because I barely speak English. <laughs> but you do really well with like English language when you're playing American. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with the accents, at least. It's just a different version of English. So I should sincerely hope I'd be all right at it. But Can you do an English accent really quick? Oh, God, well, what do you want me to say? I'm Adelaide Kane and you're watching Disney Channel. <laughs> I'm Adelaide Kane and you're watching Disney Channel. Oh my god! <laughs> Disney would not hire me back in the day either. They just would not, would not when I first moved out here. My boobs were too big. Oh really? When did your boobs start to grow? I had double D boobs at twelve. They grew in the space of like two weeks. Stop. Me too. I hit puberty like a Mack truck. Do you still have double Ds? Uh, no. They they settled to like a C for a while there. Now they're back up to up to Ds, and I wish they were still Cs because clothes. Sat a little better when they were smaller. Oh my but, God, that's crazy. I never realized how big your boobs were. Nobody ever does because I hide them. <laughs> I guess I don't. <laughs> yeah, but you've got magnificent boobs, so. That is true. It is true. <laughs> it is true. You are correct. No, but I also had, I had like C cups when I was 12. Then like literally in a month, I went to D's, then double D's. Then it went down a little to D's again. Then I, when I got older, my fat the way my fat was going in my body it just started going more to my boobs and then it went to like double d's and i think i'm like past that so a b c d e f maybe i'm f boobs boobs i've got three different sizes of bra in my drawer because like when i'm on my period they're bigger like by a full cup size and then when i'm not on my period like they're shrinking at the moment so they're sort of between a d and a c because i just finished my period and hopefully that means my skin will settle down because the hormonal acne has been kicking my ass once again, as it does every month. Same. I hate it. Oh, being a woman. The joys of being a woman. Oh, 
Okay, so Adelaide Kane, for those who don't know, she's Australian. Yes. And I just wrote down some of the movies and shows you played in, but there were so many. So I just wrote some of them, which is you played in, I think you started with The Neighbors. Yeah, with Neighbors when I was like 15. Exactly. And then you played in uh, Teen Wolf, Rain, Once Upon a Time, The Purge, Power Rangers, Random, Acquainted, (laughs) Seal Team, A Midnight Kiss, Sweet Christmas Romance, that's more recent, Into the Dark, and so many more, which we'll talk about everything that you're doing, but you're a pretty professional actor. Not, you are professional. I'm reasonably professional. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm all right, a little bit of a diva, you know, to reasonably professional. Oh, I love my right. I wrote, I wrote like, okay, Adelaide Kane, she plays, she played in this and this and this and this. But the most rewarding thing you've ever played in so far, I'd say, would be my friend. <laughs> It's the most rewarding experience of my career. Right? You're welcome. I'm being paid to be here. <laughs> That's not true. Maybe with I... coffee. <laughs> you can get me anywhere with good coffee, to be honest. Really? Okay, so. I mean, within, like, like, don't go crazy with it. Don't go buck wild with it, but coffee. Okay, so one thing about you, Adelaide, is that you just ex- exude coolness. And my first question was, were you always this cool? You see... <laughs> I've never been cool in my life. I don't know why you think I'm cool. I haven't, like, I don't, I, I rolled up with my dog because he his daycare didn't have room for him. I'm not cool at all. I don't know where you get this from. I mean, you, you literally have an Australian accent. You have a dog that already makes you cool. Just those two things. Sweet. Well, but it's like your personality. Day. I think it's like your personality and you just exude coolness. Even my sister thought you were super cool and intimidating. That's really, well, intimidating and cool, I'd say, are two completely different things. But, um, but yeah, no, I've never been cool. I was actually like bullied a lot in school and in high school. And and uh, I don't know, they, they, they say that the ultimate definition of cool is like just not caring. And I care about a lot of things. But what people think of me is generally not one of them. So I don't think I'm cool in the sense that I'm like, you know, an it girl on Instagram or, or, or you know, I have like exceptional style or like savoir faire or whatever, however you say it. Like I don't have that sort of je ne sais quoi quality that everybody's always going on about that makes you like a cool girl. But if coolness is just not really caring about what other people think of you, then I guess I'm cool in that sense. Were you always like that, not caring what people think? According to, like, my high school best friends, yes. Because I asked them, the last time I was home for Christmas, I went and had coffee with them and I was like, you know, just quick check-in because I've been away for 10 years now. Have I changed at all since high school? Because I think that's my biggest fear is, like, changing we're both just keeping an eye on the dog because he wanders around looking for force force well he farted and then i was just nervous Farted. i smelt it i didn't want to say anything so i was nervous maybe he was going to go for number two so i was kind of watching him he did that i made sure he did that already he is very gassy though and so (laughs) is my cat and so am i so you know there's always a window cracked in my house um but yeah i asked i asked my high school best friends if i had changed and they were like nah you didn't care then and you don't care now. And I was like, I feel like I cared a lot when I was 14, 15. And they were like, no, 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 no. You cared about us. You didn't care about anybody else because you were too busy reading all the time. And I was like, fair. (laughs) So you just loved reading. Do you still love reading? I do. I do. I still read a lot. Um, It's more audio books now because I do so much 
driving. Griffin, what are you doing? Come here. Come here. You want a treat? Kind of funny when dogs come have here. teeth. I know they all do, but it <laughs> all kind of dogs really, have teeth. It really <laughs> adds to their face. No, but him and his crazy overbite. He's constantly got this That's snaggle what it is. poking out. It's an oh. overbite. Yeah, it's really cute. It is very cute. He's. I gave you CBD before we came here, so you just fall asleep and you. You get it. He's gonna get there. He'll, yeah, he'll just run himself out. Um, oh, so geez. when did you when did you start acting? Um, I started acting ooh, when I was like six. Um, and it was mostly just like commercials and modeling and like print stuff because I was like a pretty cute, precocious kid. Apparently, don't know what happened, but um, yeah, I started acting then. I did voiceovers and modeling for print commercials and stuff like that when I was like six years old. Okay. But then um, what kind of made you want to get into it? Um, When I was a kid, it was just to give me something to do because I was like very, very precocious as a kid. So my mom was like, yeah, all right, you're pretty cute. Why not? And my mom was in theater and all of that when she was younger. Um, And then I kept doing extras work. It was just something that we did. There isn't a huge or wasn't at the time a huge film industry in my hometown. So it was sort of like a hobby. And then I hit puberty and got crazy cystic acne and was very self-conscious and didn't want to act anymore. So I didn't for years. Um, And then at sort of 15, 16, after everything sort of settled down, I was like, actually, I think I want to do this again. And there was a, a competition in like a teenage girls magazine called Dolly Magazine um, and it was like you put down a, a self-tape for Neighbours, which is like a famous soap opera in Australia. And I uh, did it and it was like this whole this whole talent quest thing that they did um, through the magazine and I ended up getting the, the girls part and flew to Melbourne and worked in Melbourne for six months. That's crazy. Yeah, it was wild. My mum came over with me. My brother went into boarding school for like six months and – it was crazy. Yeah, we moved to Melbourne for six months so I could be on a TV show. And would you say that's kind of what started your um, acting career? Yeah, I'd say that's that's sort of what rekindled my interest in acting again, for sure. I mean, that was a soap schedule is is rough. And I was like being sort of homeschooled while I was working and they had a tutor on set. And that was very difficult. And when I came out of it, I went back to high school to get my, um, I don't know what you guys call it here, GED? certificate yeah. my high school certificate so I went back to high school and had to play catch up and that was really rough and I was like oh I do really like acting but do I want it to be a career maybe I'll go to drama school and and that'll sort of help me because I was really interested in psychology and in creative writing as well um and then drama school wouldn't take me at 17 because I was too young and I didn't have enough life experience and I wasn't a very good actor uh if I'm being completely honest I wasn't very good and, uh, and then I ended up booking Power Rangers because I kept auditioning for things and I ended up, yeah, I went to, to college for a semester of like a communications degree that I hated and failed everything except for like computer programming, like web building because I could memorize lines and lines of code. Oh. It's pretty much the same as memorizing lines and lines for a script. That's the only thing I was good at. Everything else, I just, I was tired. I just studied my ass off to get my high school certificate and... I didn't want to be at school anymore and I booked Power Rangers and then I moved to New Zealand for six months and was working in Auckland in New Zealand at like 17. I had my 18th birthday there. Okay. And when did you move to New York? 
I never moved to New York. I moved straight to Los Angeles. Wait, you had some job in New York? Well, now I'm going to cut this part out since I didn't know that you did. No, New, New Zealand. York. New Zealand. It was New Zealand? No, but there was, I was reading, in, I'll, we'll get to it. It's fine. Um, Connecticut? I wor- I've worked in Connecticut. No, I'll, we'll get to it without me asking about when you've been to New York. But anyway, Sam, <laughs> this would be the part that you cut. Just FYI. Um, okay, got it. So it, would you say being an actor is easy? Because you know how sometimes people think that like once you book that one job, then that's it. It's just easy <laughs> from then on and blah, blah, Like No. <laughs> huh. No. See, I can't even laugh genuinely at that question anymore because – it never gets easier. You've just got a different – what do you want, mate? You've just got a different set of – You just. It, it's still auditioning. I had four auditions over the last five days and two of them were in person, you know, at casting with ten other girls with resumes just as impressive as mine, with similar looks in the same age range and we all want the job. And two of them were, were, were self-tapes. Like it's it's just as difficult now. I might have been the lead of a show for four years, but there are 200 other girls who look just like me in my age range who have also had a show of their own who want the same jobs that I want. It doesn't get easier. The pool of people that you see in the room just gets smaller. So did you ever have moments where you wanted to give up? Oh, 100%. I, uh, I had a full-on like nervous breakdown when I was 21 I went home for Christmas and had this like four-day migraine that was so bad I was nauseous I couldn't eat I was so stressed out I had been you know working part-time jobs for cash under the table to stay in the states for, for three years I was exhausted I was working three jobs um I was nannying, I was working in a marijuana dispensary, even though I didn't even smoke weed because I was terrified of losing my visa. And uh, I was selling things on eBay on the weekends and I still could barely make rent. It was so, so, so hard. I'd been told I was fat by casting. I had had some problems with like body dysmorphia um, and I'd been working out to try and lose weight or diet to try and lose weight and I was just, I was so sick and angry and frustrated because nothing I did was ever good enough and I just I couldn't move I was in bed for four days I seriously considered wetting the bed rather than crawling to the bathroom the pain was so bad and I I eventually ended up going to a physiotherapist who was like there is some inflammation in your neck the likes of which I haven't seen outside of like car accident recovery patients and I ended up going to sort of like these really intensive therapy sessions with my um my physio's wife who was a hypnotherapist as well like three hour sessions to try and straighten myself back out because I just I hit a wall like my body was breaking down emotionally I was a wreck and when I came out of it I was like right I've got my return flight back my visa's good for another six months I'm going to do one more pilot season I'm going to do one more pilot season and then that's it it's done. I'm coming back home. I'm going back to college. I'm going to get like a psychology degree. I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm done. Like Hollywood, you got three months <laughs> to to give me enough work to pay my rent. Otherwise, I'm out. It's been three years and I don't want to keep doing this to myself. And um, yeah, just something sort of shifted then when I, I, I stopped treating it like this sort of, you know, make or break dream and and more like a like a job, like a job. I was like, 
right, this is the work, but I can't make my happiness be based on whether or not I get a job. Like goal-based happiness is ultimately unattainable. You need to find like your happiness in the day-to-day into small moments in your day because if you make it, well, if I get this job or if I get this award or if I get this thing or if I have this kind of boyfriend, once you get that thing that you think will make you happy and you discover you're still not happy, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. But I ended up in in those three months, I, book, I booked The Purge. Um, I booked another independent feature that I shot directly after that called The Devil's Hand, which I did with um, Leah Pipes and Alicia Debnam Carey wow. before Alicia was on Fear the Walking Dead and Leah was on um, The Vampire Diaries spinoff. And before I got rain and then I, I towards the end of that year I did another movie um, over in Connecticut with David Duchovny and then I got Teen Wolf after that and the following year I booked rain. So in the space of a year it all turned around. I had a nervous breakdown and then I did three movies and booked Teen Wolf and then I booked rain the following year. That's so crazy. Like, what do you think in in that moment? Like, what do you think shifted? Is it because you change your perspective and like what you thought happiness was and then suddenly things just start to come to you because you just didn't care as much? Yeah, I think. And my girlfriend, Liza de Oliveira, she just did a movie for um, Netflix called In the Tall Grass. And she's got a bunch of stuff coming out and her career is really taking off, which I always knew would happen. I've been telling her that for years, but she didn't believe me. Um, she, she said something that really stuck with me and it was, you need to audition until auditioning isn't special anymore. So if you're on the audition like once a month, then you're going to put so much pressure and so much weight on that audition. You almost trip yourself up because you're so stressed and anxious about it. So it's kind of, it's like with anything, it becomes a habit, like the way you break down the script and the way you do your work beforehand, and then you relax. And when you relax, the like acting is all about truth, right? Telling the truth of the character within within a scene, within the context of a script. It's all about being honest and being that person as as truly and as fully as you can, which is truth and honesty, which is why I'm such a terrible liar. Um, and the more you can relax and just let that person be within you, the better you're going to do. Everything's going to feel more real more natural because you're not second guessing everything you do you're not a puppet on a string anymore so i think that's 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 ultimately it i just i stopped caring i stopped letting it stress me out it was just a a case of like i'm gonna do the work i'm gonna do the work to the best of my ability and once i've done the work i'm gonna just let it go i've done it it's handled it's like an assignment i've already filled in and all i have to do is hand it in i've already done the work i don't have to stress about it anymore I just have to go in, present the assignment I have prepared for everybody, and then leave. And they'll either like me or they won't. Yeah. I'll either be right for it or I won't. Yeah. How do you deal with um, failure or letdown? Right, right, right. Uh, Being an actor is like going on five job interviews a week and getting turned down for every single one, even though you've prepped your resume on beautiful paper with fresh ink. And- you you just get used to it. Like you develop a really thick skin. There are definitely some projects even now that I get really attached to and that I have a real like intense emotional reaction to. And if I, if I don't move forward on those or if I don't get those jobs, like it is heartbreaking. 
But honestly, you, you get used to it. You get used to it and you realise that a lot of the time it's not about you. All the time it's not about you. It's about sometimes it's it's down to what kind of jobs you've done and they just can't imagine you as that character because you've you've done only period dramas or you've done only comedy or you've done only like serious heavy hitting like thrillers and crime mysteries or whatever. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes you just don't look old enough even though you are old enough. Sometimes you don't look young enough. Sometimes they decide to go with a blonde or or they decide to do a diversity cast and hire someone who's um, Latino or Asian or African-American. And you have so little control over everything that happens as an actor. The only thing you have control over is yourself. That's it. And you just learn not to take it personally because a lot of the time it isn't about you. Maybe you just don't fit the look they're going for cast-wise or maybe they don't want to pay to renew your visa if you're foreign, like me. Or maybe, you know, they just don't like you. <laughs> but yeah. you can take it personally. No, maybe maybe you get the character completely wrong. Yeah. And what they want for the character, like emotionally or stylistically, <laughs> Griffin. <laughs> Buddy, it's it's literally – I'm so sorry. I'm going to pick him up and bring him over here because this is a nightmare. Sometimes on this um, show I like to talk about zodiac signs, which I know most people don't care about, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, I'm a Scorpio. You're a Leo. Mm-hmm. We get along great. Dating-wise, we're not for each other, which is fine. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just know we're not compatible dating-wise. My mom and my brother are both Scorpios. So, like, Leos and Scorpios aren't supposed to get along, like, at all. At all. Even, like, platonically. But I grew up with two Scorpios in my house, and I'm a Leo, and we're completely diametrically opposite signs. And so I'm good. I'm good with Scorpios. Oh, so you're saying that's how you understand me? Yes. We've never had a full-on something like altercation or something where we didn't get along. No, because I'm, I'm not combative like that. I know a lot of Leos typically can be like very dramatic and you know love arguments and big fights I'm not like that at all I'd just rather talk about stuff like if you've got an issue with me just explain to me how you're feeling and why and I'll be like word okay let me see what I can do to fix that and that's literally not a Scorpio Scorpios like keep it to themselves for a while and then they just like combust and then yeah I got really good at reading people because (laughs) both my mom and my brother just like sit on when they're upset so you have to kind of pick up on like little nuances with both of them like my mom it can be a change in the tone of her voice and I'm like are you okay what's going on are you all right you don't sound all right you sound stressed are you stressed you're stressed is it about work ha I knew it you have to be a detective so and then will she then say what's wrong absolutely are you really close with your mom I'm very close with my mother yeah we text every day it was Aww. her birthday recently. Hers and my brothers both have their birthdays, oh, four days. Right. I love your mom. I forgot she's been to my house. She's been to your house. Oh, yeah. Gosh, she's so sweet. My mom's an angel. She's so funny. She's, she's like such an angel. Best. I know. I want her to like retire and like start her own podcast. <laughs> she should. She was actually, now I remember when she came over my house, I was trying mm-hmm. to get over some other guy. <laughs> Every time I'm like trying to go over some guy. And then she was giving me advice about it. And she just started dating some new man. Right? No, my mom's been with uh, my my stepdad for like seven years now. Right. Well, what's his sign? Oh, God, I don't know. 
No, but it's like some sign that's really compatible with hers. It's like Cancer or something like that. It's like Cancer or Pisces or something. Yeah, maybe Pisces. That would make sense with him. Yeah, I was trying to get over a guy that's a Pisces. And then she was talking about her partner that she's been with forever who's a Pisces. And I feel like I was like, well, if they can make it work. We're supposed to make it Yeah, they're super funny, though. They're really funny because my my stepdad takes really good care of my mom. And she deserves that because she is like such a... She's such a lover and such a nurturer and she just wants to like boss everybody around and take care of them. And he sort of like lets her boss him a little bit. But at the end of the day, like he's the the boss. Mom, you're the boss. You're the boss. If you listen to this, which which I know you will, you're definitely the the boss. boss. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please don't smack me at Christmas. (laughs) She is the boss. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Um, so you are very close with your mother and then you, so when you grew up, when you're growing up, um, obviously I already know this, but I have to ask. Yeah. So, um, growing up, were you, were both of your parents together or? Um, my parents divorced when I was seven. Um, my dad lived in town for a little bit and then he, he moved to Thailand. He lives in Thailand now, uh, in Phuket, or at least he still did the last time I spoke to him. I'm not close with my dad at all. Um, and my brother and I just grew up with my mom as like a single mother and she was like pulling double shifts and and we moved around a bunch because my mom was saving to buy a piece of land and build a house for us which she succeeded at and she recently sold it for like twice as much as she paid for it wow so she's just living the high life now just you know traveling to visit all the cousins and their kids wherever they are in the world because my whole family scattered all over the place and, uh, and yeah, she did really, really well for herself and my brother and I are reasonably sane and stable adults. I mean, I'm an actress, so <laughs> I'm only so stable, but you know, we've done, we've done all right. She did a really good job. You're us. like from all my friends who are actors or acquaintances that I know that are actors, you're one of the least dramatic actors that I know, like in real life. I'm honestly, you're pretty stable and calm. I'm just tired all the time <laughs> Me too. I used to have more energy and I, I don't know what happened I don't I'm just tired I'm too I'm too tired to be dramatic drama finds me a lot of the time uh drama definitely seeks me out although maybe maybe it is just me causing drama and I don't realize it I'm not sure but I don't leave the house very often anymore because I just want to be home you're just tired I'm tired <laughs> I'm tired, which is why we had to move today's podcast to later in the day because I slept through two alarms. That's fine because I'm also too tired to be crazy. Too tired to be crazy. <laughs> hey! It took you a second. <laughs> it took me a second. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like growing up with a single mother kind of shaped your view on the world? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, my mom is interesting because there seems to be this culture in the U.S. of like – women wanting men that will like take care of them and like look after them like that sort of like housewife mentality a little bit I've noticed more so than there is in Australia and I I do not I don't get it it does not compute for me at all I mean my mum 
worked until my parents got married and then when they decided to have children and she got pregnant with me, she became a housewife after she had children. Um, but even that is is quite unusual in Australia in, in my experience. Um, and I just, I don't understand. My mum my had to get back into the workforce after the divorce and it was like very difficult, a very difficult adjustment for her. It was really hard work. Um, I mean, life is hard work, but she taught me to never have to rely on anyone for anything ever because you just, you just can't trust somebody else to take care of you and not in, not in like a bad way, not in like no one can be trusted, but in that, you know, at the end of the day, the only person you have to rely on is yourself. You're the only person you can trust with your own mental, emotional and financial well-being is yourself. So I've, I've fought really hard to, and worked really hard to try and stand on my own two feet and, and pay my way with, 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 you know, blood, sweat and tears. And, and it does become difficult for me to accept help from, from my loved ones, from my friends and even my family. Like if I'm having a really rough, like mental health day, cause I have an anxiety disorder and, and I have bad days the same as anybody else. It's very difficult for me to be like emotionally vulnerable and open with like my friends and even my family because I've learned it's so concrete for me to, that I have to just sort of take care of myself. And I really love, much like my mother, taking care of other people and being strong for other people and helping other people with their problems and, and you know, sort of being generous with my time or or with my money or in whatever way I can to help people in ways that I was not able to be helped when I first moved here. Like I, I had some serious growing pains when I moved to the States and I didn't have like, I had friends, but they kind of had their own thing going on and, and I didn't want to burden them with my problems. So I didn't really have anyone that I felt like I could lean on halfway across the planet from my family. Uh, so I just sort of learned to make do myself. And, and now that I'm older and I'm in a position where I can, I'm old enough and wise enough to help my friends or people who need it. I want to help as much as I can and be a rock for other people to lean on. But I, I find that I tend to exhaust myself where I put my own needs aside for the needs of other people. And then I just end up really, really tired and really burnt out because I don't take time and space for myself. And it's also like not, fair for me to not open up and share my troubles with my friends the way they share with me. Like that's, that's not fair. And trust has nothing to do with it. It's just, you know, I don't want to burden them. But a girlfriend of mine recently was like, you know, it was really meaningful to me when you shared X, Y, Z that you were going through because you never rely on anybody else. And it made me feel like you really trusted me. It made me feel really wanted and needed and, and, and like you valued me as someone that you can confide in. It meant the world to me that you would share that. And that sort of made me realize that I owe it to my friends to be vulnerable with them because, you know, it means something. It counts for something. So it's something I've been learning over the last couple of years. Yeah. So like be open and vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in that sense, we're really similar. So maybe that's also where a friendship comes from, where we both have a hard time um, being vulnerable with other people. And mm -hmm. I feel like, like every time you give me news about whatever's happening in your life, I'm always surprised. 
because it comes out of nowhere. But then the way you tell it, it's after the fact, which is similar to how I do it. It's like once, even when I've talked on here before about depression or anything like that, it's like after I already overcame it on my own, then I'm going to talk about it. And but I agree with you, it is really hard to just talk to somebody while you're going through. I feel like it's an immigrant thing as well, because we're both immigrants and, you know, you just you, you just got to handle it. You got to handle it. And it's like I disappear off the face of the planet for like weeks or sometimes months at a time because I'm dealing with my stuff. I think a large part of of my sort of the way I keep my private life very tightly contained is because I've been acting since I was 16 and, you know, part of the part of the training when you're in the public eye, when you're young, whether it's deliberate, like a debrief that you get from a network that you start working with or or just through word of mouth or through the advice of other actors is you keep your private life very close to your chest because some things you don't get to keep private because you're in the public eye. So everything you can keep private, you do your absolute best to keep it as under wraps as possible. And then it bleeds into your personal life as well, where you just lock everything down so tight you're not even sharing with the people closest to you. Right. Which can be dangerous, which can be dangerous because if you have like mental health problems and you're not sharing them with your nearest and dearest, you might not get the help that you need. Yeah, and eventually you're going to exhaust yourself. And, you know, you'll end up at the physio (laughs) having a nervous breakdown at 21. (laughs) I just, I feel like I just recently talked about it with uh, some of my friends the other day, how... Two years ago when I was going through um, really serious depression because of whatever stuff that was happening, mm-hmm. I survived it on my own. But then this year it was like a different type of like feeling down and I moments of ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And there was something in me that was like, I will not be able to survive this on my own. Like, I think I need like this time to reach out to friends. And I think like this year was the, the coolest thing where I've noticed that um even though it made me incredibly uncomfortable, like physically, I felt uncomfortable. Physically like, uncomfortable. Asking for help or uh-huh. even talking about myself because I don't want to burden someone. I lit- it was literally uncomfortable for me physically, but like just talking sometimes to my mother or just crying to my mother or sometimes talking to my friends or sometimes having my friends come over, not even talking about my problems, just being next to me. It was the most relieving thing ever. And I literally told my friend the other day that I don't think, I feel like this year I've learned that it's okay to depend on your friends. And like, that's probably my lesson this year. And the fact that like, I would not have survived this hard year if it wasn't for my friends and that it's okay to sometimes not always be strong for everyone else. And like, it's okay to ask for help sometimes. Yeah, it's totally okay. And it's like, I'm I'm also sort of learning to, to set boundaries for myself. You know, it, this year has been a rough year. It has been a rough year for everyone I know, myself included, like, there have been crazy highs and crazy lows for all of my closest friends this year. I am so excited for this year to be done and to just start 2020 with clear vision. I'm I'm over it. I'm over this year. It's been really hard on everyone. And I've had to learn to, to check in with my friends and be like, hey, I'm having a bit of a rough day. Do you have the emotional energy for a chat today? And then to also, if my friends are having a moment and I'm really exhausted, to just be like, hey, I love you so much and you know I'm here for you no matter what, but I I don't have the emotional energy right now. I, I, I can't Aww. have a two-hour conversation with you about this. I'm exhausted. Why don't we have a call tomorrow or grab a coffee or like 
get together and talk about it then. Like today, I just need to binge watch some TV shows and turn my phone off and play some video games and be on my couch with my animals and Postmates. I, I, I can't. I can't. I don't have the reserves today. Do you feel like when you were younger um, and set up, like right now when you're older, it seems like you resort to when you're going through that, like thinking, talking, having your alone time. Do you feel like when you were younger, you made, not the mistake, but you were kind of like a, as most teenagers or people in their early 20s, you resorted to maybe drinking absolutely, and doing all these other things in order to. Absolutely. I mean, I never did drugs because visa. I was always terrified of losing my visa, um, which I guess, you know, my mom's a nurse and has been telling me horror stories about drug and alcohol related deaths and hospitalizations since I was like 10. And my uncle's in the police force and like my whole family, we've got a long history of military service. So we're like very, very good. We're all very good kids. But when I moved out here, I was definitely like, I was very lonely. I was very bored and going out and drinking was free and it gave me something to do. And I was surrounded by people and painfully lonely. And I also hadn't been diagnosed with my anxiety disorder yet. So, you know, through years of therapy, uh, the drinking that I did when I was younger in my early 20s, because of course I didn't drink underage, uh, was self-medicating because it's a depressant and my anxiety kept me at like a really high tension level all the time. And I was just trying to numb, numb that out and just trying to get through every day. And I think that a lot of even adults use alcohol as, as like as, as stress relievers, as a boredom reliever. It's something to do that kind of like takes the hard edges off the world. And I don't really drink anymore because at times in my life, it's definitely gotten out of hand and it's only ever tripped me up. Um, and it's, it's a problem. I think that the, the, the social attitude towards, towards drinking, like you have things like mommy juice and, you know, they're marketing more to young women and, and young women's drinks that, that they are, you know, marketed for are a lot stronger than men's drinks. Like men get beer and, you know, beer, the alcohol content in beer is so much lower than in wine, which is primarily marketed to women. Really? Spirits, which are marketed to women, like, you know, vodka, like skinny girl vodka and like skinny gin or whatever, you know, like women's drinks uh, have a much higher alcohol volume. So there's actually been a rise in alcohol use and abuse in young women from ages of 21 to like 35. It's becoming like a national global problem because women's drinks are just so much stronger than men's. So much stronger. And we, we are the most valuable market. Young women is the most valuable market on the planet. It's just, it's, it's nuts. And my relationship with alcohol is like very, very complex and very long reaching. And for me, and like my anxiety disorder for my, for my lifestyle, for my future, it's just like not, not helpful. And now that I'm older, I feel more comfortable being like, you know what? That was super dumb. You should have just gotten a hobby instead of going out three nights a week. I could have learned a language. I could be playing piano right now. Still can. I mean, I'm trying. I'm trying and failing, but my brain is not as sharp as it was when I was 21, so it's taking forever. 
Well, no, but I agree with you. A lot of people don't understand that alcohol is actually a depressant. So not only like A, the next day you can be hungover, but you actually are mentally depressed because it's a depressant. So you go through a lot of- It makes you worse. Exactly. And yes, it numbs you, but then at what cost? Because you're just going to be- It's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid fix. So it like numbs you in the moment. But for me, my anxiety, which I affectionately termed hangxiety, was so much worse the next day. It was so much worse. And then of course- I'd want to have another couple of glasses of wine that night because my anxiety was worse and it was the only thing I had to stop myself from feeling anxious because it, like I wasn't into the yoga culture or whatever. It yeah. wasn't as like popular a thing when I moved out here in 2009. How much drinking would you say you were doing at one point? Oof. At my worst? Like 10 drinks in a night. Like make dinner with a girlfriend. We'd split a bottle of wine. We'd finish a bottle of wine together. By the time we'd finish dinner, we'd have a glass or two while we were cooking and then finish the bottle and then maybe have another half a bottle before we went to the club and then four or five drinks. And then repeat the the same the next day? If it was like a Thursday when we were starting, yeah, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Whoa. Yeah, we went hard. We went really, really hard. Like to the point where I would wake up in the morning and be like, I'm still drunk. And this is me being super candid here. This was a long time ago. Don't do this anymore. And looking back now, I'm lucky that I had good friends who like looked after me and took care of me. I was never like a stumbling vomit in the gutter drunk. Drinking never made me throw up. I was never like a dangerous drunk. I never drove drunk. I like that was never an issue. And I was always with my friends. Um, and we were a very tight knit, tight knit group. But looking back, those were days before like Uber, where you had like a designated driver or you had to get a cab. And there was like dangerous business back there. Like I cannot believe none of us got into more trouble like it was it was a dangerous dangerous time and it's so much safer now right and it makes me very and there's so much more awareness around around drinking and alcoholism in young people and mental health now than there was when I moved here and it's crazy to me because that was 10 years ago that was a decade ago and so much has changed in a decade and it really like the whole conversation around rape culture and sexual assault as well it's a much safer world than it was and I'm I'm lucky that I I dodged a lot of bullets. There were a lot more drugs back then as well. And it's it's a mystery to me that it all went so over my head. I had no idea. I had no idea that there were people doing like cocaine in the bathrooms when I was at the club at 21. I never picked up on any of that because I was so naive when I moved out here. One thing that I feel like no one ever talks about that I will mention right now to listeners who don't live in Los Angeles or are not in this specific type of like um, lifestyle lifestyle is that if you are rich in Los Angeles or you know specific people or you're in their entertainment business, the availability of drugs is insane. Like literally since I was younger, it's if I was around those specific type of people, it, it just flows. Cocaine, uh, Molly, ugh pills like everything you want is available prescription Prescription, and they just they just offer it everywhere from the club to in the homes and the bathrooms and and if no it just depends on like your who who you're with and where you're with it's mostly who you know because and you mentioned that I'm intimidating earlier I think that's why I was never 
offered drugs when I was younger because I was like Bambi in the woods. I should have gotten into some dangerous business. But I, I guess that sort of resting bitch face that I've always had really saved me because no one ever, ever offered me drugs. Like not even weed. Nobody ever offered me drugs. People wouldn't even buy me drinks because I was like, no, I'm paying for my own drinks. I don't trust you. You're going to roofie me because yeah. I was so naive, but also like so mistrustful of anyone other than the five people I went out with. I feel like that's also like, the, again, our immigrant mentality, because same thing, because I when I moved to America, no hoes. I've been no hoes. <laughs> when I moved to America, I was going I started to go out, I think, around like 15 to, to the clubs and all that. A lot of them will let you in and other clubs. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm saying names. They're closed now. But like, um, yeah, everyone around me was always doing drugs. And I just it was never been my thing. Like, I think it just the way I was raised, like I was just terrified. I was terrified of drugs. I was terrified. like, my parents will kill me if I died. I still am. <laughs> the drugs. Like if my mom ever read anywhere that like. I was, I was like doing cocaine or like, you know, looking messed up out in public. She would fly over here and smack me with the wooden spoon. She used to threaten us with that when we were kids. She's like, I'll smack you with the wooden spoon. She never did, but she threatened to. And that was more than enough. But my mum still, still, she's like, you're not too big to bend over my knee, Adelaide Kane. <laughs> I will fly over there and smack the sense back into you. Um, but like, they're just... I was always so terrified and so judgmental and just like absolutely not. And I'm so grateful for that because it's a it's a trap. It's a trap. I have seen so many promising young people that came out here when I did who were so talented just just ruin their lives and ruin their careers because they got caught into a different kind of party scene than the one I was in. And I only went out like that for eight months. About eight, nine months, I was, you know, going out to the clubs every weekend and just drinking myself stupid on cheap vodka cranberry. And I I hit a point, you know, was leading up to my nervous breakdown where I just went, I am so miserable. This isn't working. The way I'm living my life now is making me miserable and I can't do this anymore. And I just, I stopped. Still went out every now and again, but nowhere near the way I used to, and I haven't really gone out like that. I can't remember the last time I was at a club. Maybe, like, the last time I went to Paris Fashion Week. I went out for my photographer's 25th birthday. It was his birthday while we were in Paris. Right. And we, like, went to a club in Paris. But you know how you were talking about how they advertise alcohol now to women, mm. just like mommy relaxing, mm. all that. So I think nowadays you don't really need to go to a club in order to drink. Did you ever find yourself um, years ago then even when you stopped going out, maybe you suddenly were numbing yourself with just wine every night oh, or something yeah. like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially that. And I, I've never talked about this on on air. I, I know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things that I haven't, that I haven't, uh, that I haven't talked about because I think there's like this whole facade of like, if you have a show or if you're famous and everything must be perfect. And that's absolutely not the case. But the first year I was shooting rain, I was 23 years old. I was the lead of a show. I was working 16 hour days. I was living in a new city. I was way out of my depth. I was by no means prepared for the workload or the pressure of helming a show. 
And I wasn't getting drunk every night, don't get me wrong, because I had to study and look pretty in the morning at five in the morning every day. But I would, I would wrap my day of work and I would go to Soho House and I would order a charcuterie board and I'd have two glasses of wine, red wine, every single night. And if I wasn't at Soho House, I'd go to one of my favorite restaurants and I'd have like my dinner and I'd, I'd be on my iPad and I'd learn my lines or I'd have my script. I'd do my studying for the next day. I'd have two glasses of wine and then I'd go home or I'd go home and make myself like a little meal and have a glass or two of wine at home and do my work and go to sleep. I was so stressed. I was under so much pressure. I could not sleep without a glass or two of wine. Couldn't do it. It was, it was so hard. And that was the most rewarding job I've ever done. And it got easier. I think the, the moment for me about midway through season two, I realized it had gotten easier. I'd gotten used to the schedule. I knew everybody. I loved everybody. I, I had just caught up and I, I realized I could do it because I had been doing it. I had been doing it for a year and a half. I was, I was capable and, and that was a huge relief. And then I didn't need to have two glasses of wine every night. I replaced it with tea and I saved my glass of wine for when I went out with the cast on the weekends. But that first, like this, this industry is, is, is very hard. It is, it is rough. It is rough. It is very lonely a lot of the time. It can be very difficult to maintain friendships or even relationships when you never know where you're going to be, when you're moving so frequently, when you get a job. And like my auditions this weekend, if I get any of those jobs, I could be up in Vancouver for eight months out of the year. I could be in Winnipeg in Canada for six months out of the year. I tested for a TV show uh, earlier in the year that shot in London for seven months out of the year. And, you know, it, it can take you anywhere at any time. Any relationship you ever have, be it platonic or romantic, could become long distance in the space of 24 hours. So, you know, social media, while I have like a contentious relationship with social media, it is nice to be able to text my friends, call my friends, or keep in touch just by sending memes or commenting on their stories or being like, you look stunning, babe, on their posts. It's wonderful that I have so many ways of communicating with my people who are out of town. My girlfriend Alyssa is moving to Hong Kong. My best friend Rachel, she's up in Vancouver shooting Batwoman right now. And I call her or FaceTime her like every other week. And I text her and I send her memes and that's how we keep in touch and keep our friendship alive. So it's like, it can be very lonely and very alienating and incredibly stressful. And the hours are really, really, really long. They're really long. For the first time in years, I'm I'm working on CBS's SEAL team at the moment and that shoots at CBS, which is like 15 minutes from my house. It's down the road. It's in LA. And when I go home at the end of the day, I go back to my home, which I've never done in my career. It's so nice. Oh my God. It's so nice to not be going back to a hotel. Right. Or like a rented apartment with somebody else's furniture. Oh yeah. That must be hard. Um, so speaking of um, ways to make yourself feel better with your anxiety and all that, mm-hmm. you started going to therapy how long, how long ago? I've been in therapy for about five years. Right. And Maybe six now. You recommended me your therapist and then I yes. started going to him too. Mm-hmm. 
and he's been helpful with me and um because like i was like i don't need therapy whatever blah blah but then he actually is pretty great and he's been you know helping me with everything so why do you think why do you think therapy is so important VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I think therapy is like essential part of mental health care. You know, if, if if you've got the insurance, if you can afford it, which is just crazy to me that you don't have socialized self-care, like healthcare here in the States. It's so crazy to me. But um, I think therapy is helpful for everyone, whether you're going through a hard time or not, because you have an impartial and more importantly, educated viewpoint, an outside perspective on you and your mental health. Someone who is not so deeply and intrinsically linked with you and your life that they can accurately and dispassionately assess where you're at and where you're struggling. Like your friends are too deep in it and they also have their own stuff going on and they have their own bias and opinions based on their lifestyles. Therapists are trained to be impartial and to look at, they also, they also have a scope on say things like drinking, for example, and, my, He's really against it. He is. And, and you know, a, apparently for women, the average amount of drinks consumed in a week that you can process without it impacting your physical or mental health is seven standard drinks. Seven drinks in a week. So that's one glass of wine a night on average. That's, that's, that's it. And for men, it's double that. And so many people I know, when he gave me those statistics, I was like, whoa. Oh, I drink more than that. Oh, boy. And all of my friends drank more than that. So, like, the social norming, not you, but the social norming surrounding, you know, what is what is normal in your social group versus what is, like, clinically recommended, like, the disparity, like the disparity between those two numbers is, is, is crazy, but I wouldn't have known that if he hadn't told me. It's also really nice to be able to say anything you want, no matter how, stupid it sounds to you or selfish or how petty you think it is to someone you're literally paying to listen to you <laughs> and they cannot like they cannot tell anybody else you have like this cone of of silence and privacy that let's be honest you just don't have with anybody else not with a partner not with a friend no matter how good they are at keeping secrets they're not legally bound to not repeat anything you say. Do you cry to him? I do. I do. When things have been really, really hard and we've done a lot of a lot of work on, you know, traumas I have from my childhood or previous relationships or struggles that I've had within myself and accepting parts of myself that that I didn't like or or that I didn't want. Um I've definitely had emotional moments in therapy and that's been a, a safe space for me to be emotional and be honest like brutally honest with myself in a way that I can't be with other people in my life um or even by myself if I'm being completely honest sometimes it's hard for me to be to be vulnerable and cry or be emotional even when I'm just by myself with nobody there to see me 
or watch me. It is really hard for me. I do have this whole like knee jerk reaction when I get emotional or stressed or frustrated about something where I'm like, nope, put that away. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to get this done. You've got to pay these bills. You've got to, you know, get on top of your SAG after a membership. You've got to train your dog. You've got to walk him. You've got to cook. You've got to be on your diet. You've got to go work out. You don't have time for this, you know, as if it's, as if being emotional in my own private safe space is something I'm not allowed to do, which is crazy. That's nuts. That's, it's nuts for me to feel that way, for me to feel like these stupid little errands are more important than my own feelings. And that's something that I'm learning to do, to like give myself space to have feelings and not just bottle them up and use them for work. Which that is used, what you used to do. Which is what I used to do, which was the the only way I would let myself cry and let loose. And I gave myself permission to do that because it wasn't me. It was the character who was getting angry or who was crying or who was frustrated. It was the character. It wasn't me. It was my feelings. I mean, I don't know who I was kidding there, but that's the only way I'd let myself have those emotional moments and I'd really cut loose because I was bottling up all of this stuff and then letting it loose at work, which resulted in some some pretty great scenes, some pretty great work, but it's not a healthy way of living my life. And I remember two years ago, uh, that's how you were, two or three years ago, and I remember I was like, Ali, you need to cry on your own too, though. And I was like, what if we watch a sad movie? Will you cry then? I remember, I think we tried to watch a sad movie. I was like watching you though. And of course you didn't allow yourself to cry. And I was like, you have to cry. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't. I still, I still won't watch sad movies or scary movies because I get too caught up with like the emotions of the characters and I get too, I get really embarrassed. It's called secondhand embarrassment. And apparently it's something really common with very empathetic people. Like it's really, really common where you just get too overwhelmed emotionally. But that's my favorite thing watching sh- TV or movies or looking no. at art. No. I feel the emotions of the other characters and I just like, I feel like I'm in that moment and I'm like, I'm feeling something, I'm alive. Yes. See, I love art, like, you know, ink and paper art and sculptures and, and, and I've been like buying art from like young artists and stuff because I find them to be less politically problematic than, you know, the, the old artists. And also, you know, old art's just really expensive. <laughs> I have a mortgage and a dog who likes very nice sweaters and just I can't afford it. But, you know, I started buying art specifically because I wanted to support young up-and-coming artists and also because they make me feel something. So, like, I look at the art in my house and I feel a certain way when I look at a certain piece and it's sort of me trying to ease my way into being more emotionally receptive towards myself in my day-to-day life. But it's it's hard when you're used to just, like, putting on a brave face and just sort of muscling through. It's hard to teach yourself to be emotional. But I feel like you've done a really good job. Like, I feel like I see so many changes in your emotions and in yourself from, from like, three years ago till now. It's just, like, I feel oh, like thanks, it's... Thanks, Brian. No problem. It's good to know that I'm making progress. Oh, my gosh. So, like, you would... Three years ago, you would not be able to talk about your feelings or even talk about half of the things you just talked about. No, that's true. That's that's very true. That's very true. I feel like you've learned that being strong is means being vulnerable. Because we both used to think that being vulnerable meant... Was weakness. Weak. Yeah. Yeah. I used to think crying was weakness. Yeah. Not in other people, 
in your only sack. in yeah, your cell, same. Which is this ridiculous double standard. And I feel like both you and I are very hard on ourselves. Like we have very hard expectations of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We constantly feel like we're failures. Also, like we're imposters and we <laughs> don't deserve the things that we have. Even though both of us have worked really hard to be where we are today, it's like. It's nuts. It's 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 wild and definitely reframing that crying is not weakness. It's it's vulnerability and vulnerability is a kind of strength is maybe the strongest I kind so of strength too. you can have to be open and be vulnerable is the most difficult thing in the world to do. It requires a, a level of of bravery that most people have to really work for. I think that's the only way you're able to survive a lot of hard moments, being vulnerable and like being able to talk about your feelings or like you mm-hmm. literally will not survive. Like that's what I've learned. If you, you just can't. hold everything in, like you, you just, you crack. You, you crack into yeah, a million pieces exactly. and break. You got to bend, otherwise you'll break. I agree. Um, so with the growing up, I feel like it, it like shaped who you are. Growing up with uh, divorced parents or with a father that left, do you feel like that kind of gave you an idea of what you thought love was? 100%. Oh, I feel so strongly about it. I'm losing my headphones. <laughs> um, eh, eh, eh. I definitely grew up thinking that like love was a thing for other people and that that people would would leave you. I grew up like very mistrustful of of men and relationships and I thought that like love and happiness was something for other people but not for you not for me not for me I yeah I just I was very very jaded I I just grew up thinking you know I would just be alone for the rest of my life and and maybe I will you know who knows relationships sort of they they come and they go and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're not and I definitely was very suspicious of marriage. I was like, I don't know if that's for me. Uh, I think because relationships from what I saw um, were about control, control and and power and who had control and who had power and I never wanted to let a partner have control over me and my well-being and you know, my fight to be so independent has has almost hurt me where I've been very resistant to being open and vulnerable and emotional in relationships. I've been very hesitant of just giving everything I have in a relationship because I've seen, you know, my mother and, and, and my father, that was quite a toxic relationship when it ended. It didn't start that way, but that's how it ended. I've been in relationships that started out really wonderful and, and then became toxic for both of us and I feel like that's what it comes down to is being able to be emotional and trust someone with every aspect of yourself and have someone love you for who you are and to love someone for who they are and not try to fix them or change them or change yourself for somebody else. I think that compromises need to be made in relationships and that on on behalf of both parties but I think that ultimately – I was very, very, very suspicious of a relationship for me ever working because I was convinced for many, many years that I was just broken and it would just, it would never happen for me. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still sort of, I'm still navigating that. I'm still navigating that. I think everybody secretly thinks that there's something wrong with them and no one will ever love them or want to be with them for the rest of their lives. And, some relationships are for a short time and some relationships are forever and 
I don't know. I think the one thing that I've learned is that relationships take work. They take work, not just from you, but from your partner as well. And if you have a partner that isn't willing to do the work on their end, or you're not willing to do the work on your end, the relationship is ultimately doomed to failure. I think the same thing applies for friendships as well. Like as you grow and as you change, your friends grow and change, you know, you need to meet each other in the middle and continue to love each other for who you are becoming as well as who you used to be. So it's just it's just this endless journey of, of, of evolution and growth and sometimes you grow out of the pot you placed yourself in and, and sometimes the pot goes with you. I think that applies to your friendships and your romantic relationships as well. And I've, I've, I've run the gamut. I've, I've had a few serious relationships in my life and looking back, you know, there are definitely things I would have done differently, but I've learned a lot from every relationship I've, I've, I've ever been in. And I've learned a lot from my friendships and the development of my friendships as well and watching my friends in their relationships and, and how they've handled times of stress and, and hard times and good times. So there's a, there's a lot to learn. The older I get, the more I realize everything is, is so complicated and there is never a black and white answer to, to anything ever. There's only what's right for you and right. the people that you love. In the moment, at that time. In the moment at that time, yeah. You know. What is your definition of love now as you're older? Trust. Trust. Trust is, trust is the big thing. You need to be able to trust not only your partner but yourself. You need to trust yourself to make the right decision for you. And I'd say forgiveness as well. You need to be able to forgive yourself for the mistakes that you make and forgive your partner for the mistakes that they make and be willing to, to give second chances. You also need to be wise enough to know when second chances are not going to be healthy for you or for your partner. It's, it depends entirely on, on the situation, but trust is like the biggest, the biggest thing, trusting not only your partner, but yourself. If there's a little voice in your head saying that something isn't right, mm -hmm. then something isn't right. That's true. You know, and you need to learn to trust yourself and not listen to sort of preconceived notions of what your relationship should be like, well, if it looks perfect, then it is perfect or, you know, trusting that things will change because you want them to. Sometimes things don't change. Or believing believing in potential, thinking eventually. Believing in potential, but also being aware of, of, of your own pitfalls and your own foibles and being really honest with yourself about about who you are and what you want and where you've been letting yourself down in a relationship by not standing your ground on like where you want to be in three years or what's important to you in a relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, communication is really important to me in a relationship. Like being able to communicate problems that I'm having and then having a partner act on them and, and do something differently. And also somebody communicating with me what I need to change. And me not taking that personally as like an attack, but you know, 
something that, that I need to change within myself, within the relationship. And applies to friendships as well. I've had disagreements in friendships where friends have, you know, they've expressed that they're frustrated with the way I handle handled a situation or, you know, the way I react to things that, that are really meaningful to them. And I've gone, oh my God, I'm so sorry I had no idea that I was that I was hurting your feelings in this way, that my behavior was hurting you in this way. And then I've changed my behavior. Because your feelings are valid because you have them. You don't need to justify your feelings. Like you don't get to tell someone, no, I didn't hurt your feelings. You don't get to say that. If someone says that you have hurt them, that's the end of the line. You've hurt them. And it's your choice whether to rectify that situation or not. Uh, So you don't get to tell anybody what their feelings are. And in the same way, nobody gets to tell you what your feelings are. If you're feeling hurt about something and someone in your life says, no, you have no right to feel that way, they're full of shit because you're feeling that way for a reason. Maybe it's some internalized insecurity on your part. I've definitely had that reaction. I'm like, this hurts my feelings because I'm insecure about this thing. Ooh, that's 100% me hurting my own feelings. I need to address that insecurity within myself. It's not fair for me to take out those feelings of insecurity on, on a friend or a partner. But sometimes my feelings have been hurt and I've been told, nah, you don't get to have hurt feelings about that. And I've been like, really? Okay. Then maybe this friendship or this relationship isn't working for me because if you can't acknowledge that this behavior hurts my feelings, hurts me, then you're going to keep doing it. And I feel invalidated. I feel like I'm being gaslighted, like I'm being made to be crazy, like feel crazy and feel like I'm not entitled to my feelings and that my my happiness and my health is not important to you. So just probably don't need you in my life, eh? What a Leo. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not very Leo in the sense that I'm like not very like, yeah, I'm amazing because I'm not. I have moments of being amazing, but generally speaking, amazing. I'm a lazy sloth. That, no, you're you know, I'm gonna amazing. go home and put my fuzzy slippers and my sweatpants with holes in them back on. Me too. I'm I've been wearing this uh, blanket sweater lately. It's so good. I'm like eyeing it. I'm so cold <laughs> and I'm really it. jealous. It looks amazing. It's so warm and it's like it literally just looks like you have a head and feet, and I love it. There's no body and like so I just nice. Love it. Okay, so it was interesting when you were talking about that the most important thing for you nowadays when it comes to love is trust because growing up, you what you learned about love is that you can't trust anyone. So I thought that was interesting. And then growing up, one thing that you learned, it seemed like you were most scared of when it came to love was being abandoned, which I can relate to. 100%. So being, being older now when it comes to love, what would you say your biggest fear is? My biggest fear when it comes to love I'm afraid of hurting people. I'm afraid of hurting people. And I know that I have hurt people in the past through a lack of communication, a lack of communicating not only with them but with myself about what I was having problems with. And, you know, I've gotten much, much better at that, at communicating my feelings and I think that, you know, when, when a relationship is done for me, if I, if I feel like I'm not being heard, 
if my feelings aren't being taken into account, I tend to withdraw into myself because there's, there's nothing worse than talking to a brick wall. There's nothing worse than, than feeling like you're not being heard. And I tend to withdraw into myself until I break and then I'm out, I'm out and I'm done. I don't, there's only one boyfriend that I have gone back to in my life. And, you know, he broke my heart when he broke up with me. And that's the only time where I've ever even entertained dating someone that things have ended with because, you know, once once I hit that breaking point, once things have ended, and I've been clear with with partners in the past where I'm like, you know, if we fight, don't ever threaten to leave me because if you leave me, it's it's done. It's done because you leaving means that there is there's there's nowhere else to go. That that we've reached reached a critical mass point where things cannot be improved. But I I definitely, you know, that's that's a very very bad habit that I have where I just withdraw into myself until I can't take it anymore, because I get sick of beating my head against a brick wall, and. I, I've hurt people in, in doing that. I've hurt partners and people that I, that I love by not continuing to communicate or because I don't, I, I don't deliver ultimatums. I know a lot, of, a lot of my friends will deliver ultimatums in their relationship where it's like it's my way or the highway, like I need this to change and if it doesn't, I'm gone. And I don't believe in ultimatums because I believe that both partners should continue to work together to make something work. But I'm, I'm realizing that with certain things, I need to be very hard-lined about it. And in not being hard-lined about it, I've allowed myself to be in relationships that aren't healthy or happy. And then when I have reached that point where I've just packed up and left, I've done a lot of damage on my way out. So I think that my lesson is the thing that I need to work on is to be very clear about what I am and I'm not comfortable with in a relationship, what kind of behaviour I am okay with and what kind of behaviour that is an absolute deal breaker for me that I'm absolutely not okay with. And to also learn that when that behaviour comes up, to not, to not give a second chance with that make or break behaviour, to just be like hard with myself, like you love this person but this is a, a deal-breaking behavior. You know why, and you have to go. You have to go. You cannot tolerate this behavior. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Instead of, you know, making excuses for a partner or even for myself, because I'm guilty if I take full responsibility for times when I've been shitty in relationships, when I have not done my best or, or done my utmost or behaved in ways that I'm embarrassed by or that have been hurtful to my partner, I take full responsibility for the times when I have not been a good partner because there have absolutely been those times. And I take full responsibility for that and I'm working on that within myself. But I just, I don't want to, don't want to hurt anybody ever. And sometimes the problem with that is that I will continue to tolerate behavior that I shouldn't tolerate or treatment that I shouldn't tolerate at, at, at a detriment to my own mental health. And then I think you check out and then when you check out, then you stop when I check out, hurting the other person because you're just checked out. When I check out, it's, it's, it's all over. And 
in the past when I've left a relationship, I've often been asked, like, why? I thought everything was fine. It's like, no, it's not fine. I've told you why it's not fine and the things that I've needed to change. And I got sick of asking. I got sick of asking and I don't love you anymore. Nothing changed. Nothing changed. Well, I felt that pain. You telling me you don't love me anymore. I I love you. No, I know. But I'm just like listening to your words. I felt that pain in that moment. Like, you know, it, 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 it sucks. It really, it sucks. I don't like hurting people. And, and part of that is my own cowardice in not being really firm about what I need in relationships. I, I, I tend to, you know, cater to my partners far more than I should. And I don't take time and space and, and emotional energy for myself. I, I tend to give too much and I don't ask for enough in return. And that ends up being a problem because then I, I feel like I've been used or I'm the one making all the sacrifices or I'm the one making all the changes. And, and I feel like I'm the, pro- like I'm the worst one and I'm the problem. And, and that's very common in women, by the way, with the, um, in breakups research, yeah, that just women blame themselves they blame and themselves. say it's you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and maybe that's just sort of the way, the way we're raised, we're raised to be, to be caretakers and to take care of other people and to, and to put our own needs aside. And I definitely do that in, in friendships and relationships. I definitely do that. I put myself second 100% of the time and I'm learning to not do that, to just sort of take space for myself and not taking space for yourself in relationships and not having a hard line for yourself and knowing and like really asserting your right to be happy and have emotional and mental space and care in your relationships um, hurts the relationship itself and hurts your partner because they cannot be the best partner for you if you don't have hard boundaries. And uh, that's a really hard lesson that I've learned in the last couple of years is that I need to be better with that. I need to be insistent on the things that I need in a relationship, I can't just be like, well, cross my fingers and hope that because if I talk about it enough, it'll change. Cause it doesn't. Sometimes well, I it mean, doesn't. at least you are, you're so ahead of the curve compared to a lot of other people because you are a, being self-aware. I feel like it's the most best step ever. I've made a lot of mistakes to, I've paid for this self-awareness by making a lot of mistakes. But I've the thing say. is Adelaide, everyone makes mistakes. There's no Every relationship takes two people to break for the relationship to break a lot. You know what I mean? So as many mistakes as you have made, your partner has made too. You can't be so hard on yourself and just like think you're hurting everyone. If anything, when you part ways with somebody because you weren't able to love them anymore because they hurt you enough and now you're hurting them, you are literally doing them a favor by walking away because then they will be able to find a partner that will be more compatible with them, that will love them the way they need to be loved and vice versa. Yeah, you know, and there, there's there's not an ex in my life, be it an ex-partner or an ex-friend that I do not wish the absolute best for, like the best health, happiness, success. I want nothing but the best for them, whether I'm in their life or not. And, you know, I don't, I don't hold over any really personal resentment in any way, shape or form because the fact that I had that person in my life means that there is something wonderful about them. Exactly. Including you, Griffin. (laughs) Um, When did you realize that your last relationship, that it wasn't working or that it was time to walk away? Um, You know, that was a, that was a slow realization. Uh, I think the big like breaking moment was when I realized I was falling in love with somebody else. 
Um, yep, I'm I'm owning it. I'm I'm owning it now because I was I was not expecting you're not expecting me to come in so hard with the truth bomb. Um, I fell in love with someone else, but I I think I think that when it started was when I realized I wasn't fighting for the things I needed anymore. I started being really introspective in that relationship and started to withdraw within to myself because I had asked for some changes and they weren't happening. And I'd been asking for a while. And when I realized I had stopped asking for those things that I needed, that was sort of, you know, a moment for me when I realized that I, I had stopped I had stopped fighting for the things that I needed. And I was sort of biding my time to see if those things would change before we took the next step in our relationship. And I was, you know, I was really hoping that those things would change and, um, and, and they didn't. And I just got completely blindsided uh, when I met someone who I am with at the moment and um, I left my last partner for this person and I feel more myself now than I have in over two years. Yeah, I I can I can agree with you on that that I feel like first um it was so great to be around you and your partner and you guys seemed amazing and then I feel like it started out the end beautifully. you were like a different person. It started it started out beautifully and you know what I take full responsibility for my part I let myself down in that relationship and and I let my my ex down as well by by not being really firm in the things that I needed and like no shade on him at all. It's been a very, it's been a difficult process and very difficult for him. And I understand that. And, uh, I wish him nothing but, but the absolute best. And I, I know, and I know that he's going to find someone truly wonderful who he will love with all of his heart and he will have a great, a great life. And I really want that for him. But it just it wasn't working for me and I I really regret the way it ended oh god I'm 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 you've really you've caught me here (laughs) I've never talked about my relationships ever I know but you know I I learned a lot from that from that relationship and I wish him the absolute best if he ever listens to this you're just making me sad because like I know you as a person and it makes me sad how hard you are on yourself. And it's honestly a little hard to listen no, to you talk I, about just, it seems like everything I, I was your fault in your last, I, I, I know, but it takes Fell people. in love with somebody else and, and I, and I, and I left him for, for you, someone else. And but I, you wouldn't have fallen in love with someone else if you were still in love no, with your you partner know, and You know what, great. you know what, I, I blame myself because I, I should have left before. I shouldn't have left for somebody else. I shouldn't have done that to him. And I take full responsibility for that. I absolutely do. I I should have found the 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 strength within myself to 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 draw a hard line and, and deliver the ultimatums on the things that I needed and fought for that relationship, or I should have just left. It's a shitty way of going about it, and I, I totally copped that. I totally do. I take full responsibility for that. Um, yeah, but you've been paying for it ever since in a lot of different ways. Which a, we're not going to bring up. No, so we are. We are definitely we not. Won't, but, but you know what? I'll, I'm, I've never been shy of paying, paying my dues, paying what I owe. I've never been shy of that. And and you know, I I've paid for my mistakes throughout my life in a multitude of ways. 
I've paid for my mistakes in relationships in a multitude of ways, um, you know, for my mistakes professionally, personally, and I'm more than happy to do that. I'm just, I just want, I want him to be happy and and healthy and I want myself to be happy and healthy and that's all I want for the future. That's all I want. I want that too for both of you. You guys are both great people in your own way. Um, it didn't work out. I swear to God, like, I'm not kidding. You were, it started beautifully and then you started to change as a person. I could see that in you. And uh, he's a wonderful man. Uh, just, just, just. You guys are maybe just not right for each other and that's okay. No, and that's, and that's okay. And I've definitely been, uh, my life was on a different track in that relationship. There was the next couple of years of my life looked very different when I was in that relationship. And now I'm adjusting to, you know, what my life is going to look like now and it's exciting and it's scary because I thought I knew what the next couple of years would look like and now and now I don't know hey great <laughs> so is that you never really publicly spoke about your breakup at all you kind of just took off pictures and you just moved on and like and I f- and remember we were just recently talking about that you turn off even your comments on your Instagram yeah I I just didn't didn't want to hear about it didn't want it in the comments, didn't want to read the discussions that people have in my comment section sometimes. I I didn't want it. I didn't want to see any of it. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 I love my fans and I love the people that follow me and that support me. I really do. But sometimes <sighs> catering to that many people and being open to, to the opinions and the judgments of that many people is too much. It's too much and it's exhausting, even when it's well-meaning. So, so you just, you didn't want to deal with the comments about your breakup, but also because you already, you moved on to a new partner, you thought maybe some people would judge you for that. Yes. And they have done in the past. And you know, that's, that's neither, neither here nor there. People are always, opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one (laughs) and, and that's fine. Um, but I, I didn't want commentary on, on my new relationship and I, you know, I've waited uh, to to be, I guess, Instagram official. Who are you currently dating? <laughs> I'm currently dating a young man called Jacques Collimont. What a beautiful is, name. Thank you. Uh, I've taken credit as if I named him. <laughs> uh, who's He's on a show called The Society on Netflix. And we met while shooting a project together earlier this year. And... Uh, and uh, I love him a lot. Aww. I love him a lot. Yeah, he's he's currently working on a movie in Alabama, and I miss him. But we both get on Xbox Live and play Monster Hunter together. Yeah. So one thing a lot of people don't know about you is that you love video games. Oh, mama, do I? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. And uh, you know, I, I play Xbox. I play PlayStation. I play Nintendo Switch. I have my Switch in my purse right now because I just downloaded Pokemon Shield last night. And started playing it before I was so tired. I was like, you've got to do a podcast with Violet tomorrow. You need to put this away. But, um, yeah, I love video games, comic books, anime, all of it. Big nerd. Big old nerd. I love that. I was doing my puzzle yesterday, but you were playing video games. (laughs) Your life sounds We've all got our nerdy stuff. We've all got (laughs) different stuff. No, I love video games, too. I grew up playing. It was my way to feel like any type of connection with my father growing up. He would love mm. playing video games. And when he would be in town, I'll play video games with him to make him happy. And then uh, I, I ended up liking them too. 
For me, it was sailing and fishing to try and connect with my dad. He used to take my brother and I sailing and we'd go fishing. So now I know how to sail and fish. Amazing. don't really like it, but I know how. <laughs> um, do you – oh, wait, I forgot. What is – wait, how do I pronounce your boyfriend's name again? Jacques. Quasimont. Jacques. But his first name is Jacques. Jacques. Okay. It, what's Jacques' um, zodiac sign? I forgot we talked about this. He's a Virgo. He's a Virgo. Yeah. Virgo. Okay, cool. What do I say about that? Okay. I'm trying to think what Virgo is. <laughs> My brain is like, you guys are not that compatible. <laughs> I can't say that. No. You guys well, are great. Apparently we do, like, we've got our charts, you know, little. On CoStar? Uh, on CoStar, yeah. Our charts are super compatible because oh, of really? our. What is it? Just rising suns, moon sun. Yes. Yeah. Actually, no, no. I agree with you because I also have co-star. Now, sometimes if I talk to somebody that are some signs not compatible, oh I check the other signs and we are compatible with other signs. Yeah. So, so that's <laughs> pretty funny. But there's a, there's actually an Instagrammer called Benny Drama. And I've been meaning to send you one of his videos because he does videos about all the different star signs. No, I love him. What? I follow him. He's the best. He's the best. Benito. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. He's he started, hilarious. He started the video about Scorpio birthday and then he does like for every birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one on Leo's. Cracks me up. Like, maybe. Take a photo of me. No, take a photo of me. Oh, I think, I think. Yeah, and she's always. The really Leo one is. It's like a Kylie Jenner Leo one. She's like, how much is this? I'll take it. <laughs> I'm like, if that isn't me in a nutshell. That's so funny. Um, do you feel like now with your new partner, you have like new, do you feel like now that you've learned so much from all your old relationships, you have like non-negotiables that you will not be okay with if they don't happen? You know what I'm saying? Um, not, not in terms of like a timeline, like, oh, I have to be married by 33 and I want kids by 35. Although I would like those things. I don't have like a hard, wouldn't we all? I don't have a hard timeline for that, but I, I have like certain behaviors that are non-negotiable. Yeah, that's what like I Like mean. drug use. Drug use is a non-negotiable. Like I will never, ever, 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 ever date someone who does like cocaine or abuses Same. pills or Same. any other hard drugs. Like marijuana, it's legal, whatever. Uh, I don't want to be with someone who's stoned all the time, much in the same way I don't want to be with someone who's drunk all the time. But drinking, that's another thing, which is like a non-negotiable for me is if they're a really heavy drinker. I don't really drink anymore. So that's it's just not going to work, socially speaking. Um, but, yeah, I definitely have some, like, some some hard no-goes. Like if, a, if someone I'm dating has no interest in having children, that's a no-go for me because I definitely want kids. And it's important to ask. You need to start asking the questions you're too scared to ask before it's too late and you're in a relationship for seven years and then you find out. Oh, I'm super straight up. I'm kids. super straight up. Like if I start seeing someone within the first couple of dates, I'm like, it's, it's, I'm either seriously dating someone or we should, we should just be friends because I don't want to waste anybody's time. You know, I don't really do casual relationships anymore. Like a date or two is one thing, but oi, that's enough. Yeah, I adopted you. That was a pretty serious commitment on my part. Relax. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really straight up. I'm like, so do you want to get married? Do you want kids? Are you close to your family? How do you feel about your mum? How do you feel about politics? I'm straight up right out of the gate. If you can give advice to your younger self when it comes to love, what would it be? Don't date because you're lonely. Relationships are only worth doing for someone who is truly, truly special. And the most important relationships in your life 
are your friendships. When you're young, your friends are the most important thing. The most valuable use of your time is spending time with your friends because as you get older and people get into serious relationships, serious enough where they're living together and talking about marriage and children and all those sorts of things, as you get older, people move away. People move away. They spend all their time with their partner. Like the, the, the landscape of your life changes. So enjoy your time with your friends while you have it because one day y'all are all going to be too busy to hang out three days a week, you know. You're going to be too busy to hang out three times a month. You know, a lot of your friendships as you get older end up being phone calls while you're driving from one meeting to the next. The occasional like sleepover when their partner's out of town visiting family or on a job or or whatever. Like really just appreciate the time you have with your friends while you have it. Relationships are not that deep when you're young. They're not that deep. They're valuable. You learn a lot of important lessons from them. But the most valuable relationships you have when you're younger are your friendships. I like that. I agree. That was beautiful, Adelaide. Uh, thank you. Um, what are you currently working on? Uh, currently working uh, on SEAL Team for CBS. So I've done a couple of episodes for them. Uh, my first episode, 308, is coming out. Oh, did it just come out li- Tonight. Tonight. Tonight being no- November 20th, since I don't know when this November podcast. 20th, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it will be out by the time the podcast episode goes up. Yes, yes. So I'm currently working on that and uh, and it's been great fun. The boys are lovely. They're so nice. It's like the broiest show ever. I did a scene recently where I, I got to meet SEAL team as the, as the new girlfriend oh, that- yeah. I got to meet the team. We were all at a bar and I was the only one with a glass of red wine because I'm a little bit fancy. Everybody else was drinking beer. And one of the actors uh, got me an honorary protein shake because they all drink protein shakes all the time because they all work out all the time. And that was, you know, he was like, welcome to SEAL Team. It's your first protein shake. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, is there anything else coming out this year? Oh, Is I don't it know. A lifetime. Yeah, I just had a Christmas movie yeah, well, come out um, called A Sweet Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> so maybe you say that. Yeah, Sweet Christmas. <laughs> yes, um, that's available now online at the moment. Oh, and Acquainted is now available for um, download in Canada, which is really, really super cool. But that's it, really. Just auditioning and can't wait for Christmas. Really excited to see my family. Are you going to go back to Australia? No, we're going to Hawaii. My family are meeting me in Hawaii. It's the first time in 10 years that I don't have to do that hellish flight all the way back to my hometown. Oh, that's so exciting. I'm so excited. So we're just going to go to Hawaii, like me and my brother and my mum and my stepdad. We're just going to kick it in Hawaii for like 10 days. And I've never been, so I'm really excited. That's so exciting. I've never been either, but like Hawaii is beautiful. That's so fun it's to like do with your family. Destination Christmas. Yeah. And then both my mom and my brother are coming back to Los Angeles with me to stay for two weeks. Aww. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it, but I'm also going to be living with my mom and my brother again. I haven't lived with my mom and my brother like both at once. Since well, your I was mom, 18. Your mom can stay in my house. I have an extra room. That's too far away. My mum will not drive. I will be her chauffeur while she's here. We do live kind of far from each other. We do. Not that far, but sort of. So my brother will have the spare room. My mum will have the guest house. Aw. Yeah. 
That's sweet. Well, hopefully I get to see her when she's in town. Oh, come by. She'd love to love see her. her. Just come by so for like sweet. a cup of tea. Cup she of can, tea. Yeah, yeah, just come by for a cuppa. She'll love that. Um, is there anything you feel like I didn't ask you? No. We've really covered a lot of bases here. We've covered a lot of ground. You're an excellent interviewer, Violet. Stop. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having <laughs> me. I feel honored. No, thanks for coming. And where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at Adelaide Kane, on Twitter at Adelaide Kane. And uh, yeah. YouTube? Yeah, well, YouTube, but I'm not really doing you. And but you YouTube, have some videos on YouTube. Adelaide Kane. I've got a couple of beauty videos up there. Probably going to do a bunch more. When yeah. I find time. Yeah. So YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, Adelaide Kane. Feel free to reach out if you have any questions or you want to tell her how beautiful she is and how talented she is or whatever reason. Reach out to her if you want to ask me any questions. I'm always free on at Violet Benson on Instagram and not at Too Tired To Be Crazy. Um, just FYI, I just want you guys to know that I do read all your reviews and I love it when you guys leave me five stars. I'm so thankful when you do anything. Five stars, five <laughs> Including stars, five listening stars. to this podcast. Please, if you have a chance, if you want to leave me a nice review, I will be insanely thankful. Feel free to DM it to me. I'll respond. Um, and once again, Adelaide, thank you so much for coming on Too Tired To Be Crazy. Thank you for having me. It's yes. been... <sighs> emotional it has oh my been. god my first time ever talking about relationships and feelings fucking love feelings oh fucking love feelings, fucking love feelings. <laughs> all right well you guys have a beautiful full of feelings day i love you guys and i'll see you next <laughs> thursday bye